got him. Fire in the hole. Boom! And he's pounded this buck. I mean, could not have walked up there and put a better shot on him. And he had rubbed the top of his antlers and just stopped. Was like, oh, crap, I'm hungry. I need to eat. And then we didn't let him finish the process because we shot him. <laughs> the only way I learn lessons is the hard way. And I always think back to a buck that I hunted in 2010 that I just kept blowing stocks on. Knowledge of an area is more important than the trophy quality of an area. Hey, I hunted my butt off for that thing and it meant the world to me and it still does. And I love that. This is Henry Ferguson, AKA Big Chief Wackabuck or Not Fit to Hunt. And you are listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. There's a lot of people that can pull the trigger on an animal but they don't know what to do with it after. If you would have told me that a stupid turkey was going to make me get that excited, I would have told you you were crazy. It's just a skill that you have to perfect over a lot of years. Hunting is a tribal activity. We've lost the tribe. We can't even hunt together anymore. Well, the people that are anti-hunting are usually pro-abortion. So kill the people, save the animals. I just remember riding my horse back to camp with the northern lights and the moose behind me, and I'm like, this is why I've done this. This is as cool as an experience as I will get. Hi, this is Jim Shockey. This is Sam Sohol, the public land bus guy. Hi, I'm Kimmy Greentree. Hi, this is South Cox with the Western Bowhunter Podcast. Hey, this is Ben Dedamonte, a.k.a. Shed Crazy. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, y'all, today on the episode, I have the one and only Henry Ferguson. Y'all might better know him as Not Fit to Hunt or uh, the one and only Big Chief Wackabuck. Henry, man, I'm glad we uh, we were just talking before this, and it's been uh, Isaac Aylman introduced us, and it's been like three years or something since that introduction and finally getting you on. Yeah. Kind of strange. Um, you know, you, uh, it, it, it's good being on and always, uh, always willing to sit down and take an hour or two to talk about hunting and the you. journey that, that it's been in my life, you know? 
So, yeah, I figure anybody that Isaac introduces me to has to have some sort of strange thing going on in their head. So they've got to be interesting, <laughs> right? Like, well, that's, I, I think there's, I think a, kind of the measure of a man is the friends that he keeps. And, you know, Isaac has an interesting mix. <laughs> Well, it says, you know, we have a, have a good open mind and are willing to, uh, willing to take it where it goes, man. I mean, it's, that's just kind of life anymore, you know? Oh yeah. No, I think I've, I've told the story. I have had Isaac, Isaac on, I told the story before about how him and I met and it was just, it was like in a total archery challenge. And I, I just, uh, he was just like this random dude that was kind of interesting. And I talked to him for a while and he's sitting there after the show. He's like trying to sell me on Easton arrows, like hardcore. He's like, dude, you got to be shooting Easton's and this and that. And I'm like, I'm like, why is this guy so like, like all about the Easton's like, he's really trying to push this shit on me. Like, and, and then he's like, you don't know what I do. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that, that makes, that makes a little more sense, but y'all can go back and listen to my episode with Isaac if you want, but. Oh yeah. And the funny thing is, I mean, the first time, I mean, I met Isaac at, uh, through Badlands packs years ago and I've always told Isaac and we've since become really good friends. And, um, in fact, he and junior are coming over to hunt, uh, hunt deer with me and my buddies this year. Um, but I always told, tell Isaac that the first time I met him, it clearly meant a lot more to me to meet the great Isaac Aliman <laughs> than it did for him to meet some clown named Henry Ferguson. And that's okay. I mean, Hey, that's, it's, it's, it's life's like that. You know, when you meet your heroes, sometimes they remember meeting you and other times they don't. And yeah, you know, that's all right. Oh man. I love that. He's just a, it's, it's hard to describe him. He's just such a unique person. And he is met Isaac, the mold. Yeah. If you've, <laughs> if you've met Isaac, you know exactly what we're talking about. If you haven't, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to live with that for, you know, until it happens. So <laughs> go to a total archery challenge and there's a pretty good chance you can, mm-hmm. but you can't, you mm-hmm. won't find him at the Easton booth. You'll find him at the black rifle coffee company booth. Now there you go. So that's uh that's the difference, but still the yep. same guy. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. You know, one thing I always like to ask folks is just, you know, a little introduction of kind of who you are, but especially from the the perspective of like, how did you get introduced to hunting the outdoors and this, this whole thing where we, we love so much? Well, that's a great question because I, I mean, like, like most people, you know, we all have our own little individual journey of how we got to be in the outdoors. And I mean, truthfully, I, I was born to be in the outdoors. I just was. And it, it's something that I'm happiest when I'm there. I'm most fulfilled when I'm there. And, you know, I spend a, as a kid growing up, I mean, I used to just beg my mom to take me to the lake and I'd throw this little lure out there and fish. I could fish for hours every day. And that was, that was my passion. You know, that was what I did when I got a little, little older, I went on a hunt with my dad and um just happened to be a mule deer hunt in montana and he he took a little buck and man i'm telling you i it was i was done for then i mean that was that was one of the coolest days of my life i mean that was probably 40 years ago and there are moments and little snippets of that that i can remember like it was absolutely yesterday and i knew 
as growing up, I knew that those were the kind of memories I wanted to make with my son and with my wife and with my family when I got to be an, you know, an old fart. And <laughs> it's, it's been, I mean, I can tell you right now, I mean, some of the stories, the hunt stories that I have with my wife and son are absolutely the best. I mean, I, I've been on some great hunts, killed a few great deer, but if you ask me my favorite hunt stories, it's almost always going to go back to one of the stories with them. And it, you know, it just, it's, it's cool because as a, for me being a hunter, I know what to expect of myself when, when the chips are down, when the, you know, when the bulls coming in or when I'm sneaking in on the buck and waiting for him to stand, I, I know what to expect, but I do not know that of my wife and son. That's, that's a bit of a bit more of a mystery to me. And I, uh, I, and, and those moments just tend to be filled with so much excitement because, you know, we, I mean, this last year we snuck in on a buck, uh, my, my buddy rivers, uh, Koskinen myself and with my son and it was my son's tag. He's 14 years old. We snuck in on this buck and all of his does are up feeding clear visible as can be he i can see the top of his rack feeding in this draw i I can just see the top of his rack and barely the top of his back but i'm kneeling looking through my spotting scope my son is literally laying down prone so he's you know Mm -hmm. a foot and a half under me so he can't see anything he can see his antler tips come by every once in a while and so the, the cool thing was we sat there and watched this buck for like 10 minutes, feeding, 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 waiting for him to come out. And finally, when he comes out, this stinking thing comes out and like is just angling quarter and away going through this little hole in the brush. And Kyle goes, I got him fire in the hole. Boom. And I mean, just that fast. And he's pounded this buck. I mean, could not have walked up there and put a better shot on him. And, you know, I mean, moments like that, it's just cool. You know? And I, I mean, it's, it's where you see all of that, all of that hard work that you've put in at the range with them. You just see it come through and, and you see it all pay off. And it's, if it gets cooler than that, I don't know how (laughs) it's just something I enjoy so much. That's like, you tell that story and all of a sudden, like the second, like the second you're getting into that moment, like I'm getting pumped up. Like I was there watching it with you. And, you know, we're, we're talking just before this about like, you know, just telling those hunting stories and how that, like you can gain so much out of just hearing Oh yeah. Hearing those stories pass back and forth. It's huge. Well, and it's, it's cool because that's our heritage. You know, I mean, that's our, that's our heritage as hunters is those stories. And I mean, I, I love hearing them. I loved hearing them as a kid. I love hearing them now. And that's, it's just, it's awesome to be able to hear somebody share their story of success. And, you know, there's always a little nugget. If you, if you mine deep enough, there's always a little nugget you can, you can get out of there that can help you be successful later on if you're if you're paying attention and willing to learn you know oh absolutely so now uh, you mentioned your wife hunts as well 
Mm-hmm. Did she hunt before the two of you met or? Uh, nope, not at all. She, so she was so raised in all a, your fault. It, it is a hundred percent my fault. Yeah. I, and you know what? <laughs> Just couldn't be more pleased with that. Nice. <laughs> she is, uh, my my wife is just this kind, loving person who turns into an absolute cold-blooded assassin when <laughs> there's an animal in the crosshairs. It's it's just the weirdest thing. She just has this ability to to keep her crap together, you know, and 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 her thoughts straight and in the moment of truth. If she's got crosshair steady on that animal it better be practice and falling down. Cause it's about to happen. <laughs> I mean, it's it just, it's a cool thing. I feel like when women get really invested into hunting, like or, uh, women that I've from what everyone I've talked to, everyone I've seen, like when they're really invested, they are like, before that shot, they're the steadiest, like most cold blooded. They could be the most emotional person in every other aspect of their life. But if, when they're invested in that hunt, they, they're like, God help me if they were an assassin on my tail. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And the, and the funny thing is it kind of, it kind of leads to some of the lessons that you learn as a hunter and some of the, I mean, for me as a mule deer hunter, I, I learned, I'm not a super patient person throughout my life. I'm just, it's just not one of my gifts that I was in as a, as a, you know, when we came to earth, um, <laughs> I, I want something to happen and I want it to happen here pretty quick. Well, nothing teaches you patience like having your eye on one buck that you've been watching all summer, or maybe like the buck I killed this year, you've been watching since 2018. I've watched him <laughs> for three summers. And, and the cool thing is I just got the, uh, I literally just got the email back from Robbie Denning a couple hours ago told me that was a six and a half year old buck. Ooh. So pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but I watched that buck for three years for three summers. And I, this year he was the best buck I'd found each of the other years. I'm like, Oh no, I'll find something better. I'll find something better. He's, he's just an okay buck. He's, he's getting ready to just blow up in growth. And this year, I mean, we had a bad drought for one thing, but just having the patience to watch that buck. And then I watched him several times this year before I stalked him because I I knew I was probably only going to get one or two opportunities at this buck. He's an old deer and, you know, they just tend to be pretty impatient when it comes to uh, people blowing stalks on them and bumping them out of their beds. Mm-hmm. So that's something that, uh, that's something that I, you know, just learning and I, I, and you know, the only way I learn lessons is the hard way. And I, <laughs> I always think back to a buck that I hunted in 2010 that I just kept blowing stocks on, blowing stocks on, and blowing stocks on, just thinking, that's ah, a numbers game. I'll, I'll figure it out. Um, and truly, I never did. I mean, somebody has killed that buck, uh, scored 201 and three eighths case you're wondering um yeah and that's all right i've I've hunted exactly this many 200 inch bucks since then so (laughs) you know that's uh that's a tough one it's a bitter pill to swallow but you know it's one of those lessons that you just have to learn or you're doomed to continue failing well well man you know if it makes you feel any better you can see a you know you can see my biggest buck in this picture right here 
Oh, I see that whopper back there, man. <laughs> That's when you shot in Arizona, right? Yep. Yep. Shot that down, uh, down in Arizona. My first that. tag filled, my first buck period, you know, first archery, you know, whole, whole thing. And, uh, I've yet to fill a mule deer tag since I finally filled my elk tag. There you Happy go. with that. Hoping to make it back down to Arizona and, uh, Arizona in August and, uh, chase some, uh, chase some muleys, uh, over the counter. Before yeah. coming back up for elk, but we'll see, man. I, uh, I like, I've always been an elk guy. Yeah. I've always been an elk guy, but mule deer, like, I don't think they'll ever overtake elk in my mind, but they've been growing on me, man. I'll tell you what, here's, here's where, here's where the world shifted for me. So in 2004, I would, or no, it's 2003. I was actually pretty new bow hunter i'd been shooting a bow for a long long time uh shot in tournaments and stuff for years but just hadn't really gotten crazy about bow hunting and you know even though i'd hunted a bunch as a kid i'd still go outdoors and went fishing a lot and stuff but just bow hunting hadn't really tipped me over the edge just yet and so i was i was glassing this herd of elk and i just knew this this herd's pattern so well and it was, it was going to happen. I mean, it was just a matter of time. And I knew I was going to hunt these bulls like the middle of the month and I was going to be ready. So a, one of my neighbors at the time, a guy named Fred, gave me some terrific advice. And he said, Henry, get out there and shoot a deer this weekend. I go, oh, yeah, it's, it's just that easy. I'm just going to go shoot a deer this weekend. Great idea, Fred. Have you seen the statistics? Do you know how low the odds are of this happening? Much less on command. I'm just going to go out and shoot a deer this weekend. So I went out that weekend and it, it had just been it had just been pouring rain for for days leading up to the beginning of the season. And um as it was, I went down this big hike, down this big, made a big loop through this big basin and saw a lot of sign and stuff, but never, never saw any animals. And I'm literally walking back on the road and I'm like a mile and a half from my truck. And I cut this really fresh set of tracks walking on the road on this old dirt road. I'm like, well, this is kind of cool. So I followed the tracks for a couple hundred yards and they veered up into the woods and I just kept following the tracks, following the tracks. And eventually I lost the tracks and I'm sitting here looking around and I'm like, man, which, which way did that deer go? I mean, I, I can't see the tracks anymore because I'm in heavy in thick grass. I look over and out of the corner of my eye, I catch a tail flick. <laughs> the deer is standing 45 yards away from me. Uh. So I, uh, I, I, drew back and I couldn't have walked up and placed the arrow any more perfectly on this deer. And I, I shot, you know, I mean, it just went perfectly. And I, so I shot this deer because he said, if Fred told me, he goes, Henry, you don't want your first experience at full draw on an animal to be, you know, on a big game animal. Cause I'd shot a bunch of rabbits and stuff mm -hmm. because you don't want it to be on a trophy animal. He goes, just get out there get it figured out and then you'll be more ready. So it was terrific advice. And had the elk ever freaking shown up, it would have, I mean, I, I think I would have been way more ready, but I hunted <laughs> those stinking elk day after day. And that pattern that was just, I'd spent all that time working on developing. They just completely ghosted me. 
And so began my stories of, as an elk hunter because <laughs> they drive me nuts, man. They drive me absolutely crazy. <laughs> but while I was hunting those big, that big herd of elk with that huge bull in there, I managed to sneak in in this oak brush. And there were, there were a bachelor herd of, of bucks. There's a bachelor herd of bucks up there. And I got in close on this bachelor herd. And I found myself five days after I had shot that doe. Uh, so I'd already filled my deer tag 10 yards away from two Pope and young bucks. Oh that, my I gosh. Mean, oh, I mean, Sam, you talk about top pin close. I mean, it was crazy. It was like top pin, hold it a couple inches low, kind of close. You've got to lean and, back. So the broadhead doesn't brush it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Just, it was pretty crazy. And that's, you know, that's, that right, that day right there, I kind of became a, a a mule deer hunter. I was like, man, this was cool. I want, I want this experience again, but with a tag, you know, in my pocket. So, <laughs> and I've just been chasing that high again ever since, man. I mean, that's, and I think that's really what it is. I mean, you know, 18 years later, I'm still just hoping for just one more chance at a big buck, you know? That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to finally start being able to hunt some places consistently because everywhere I've hunted, I've never really got to to either chase a deer or spend time scouting, getting to know an area and that. And I'm excited to be out here in Montana now to where I can really consistently hunt these same areas or scout them or, you know, get to know a few different areas and, and really start investing in maybe shooting a bigger mule deer, maybe shooting something with a hey. fork this time. It's going to pay off. I can tell you, I can tell you right now that will pay off because knowledge of knowledge of an area is more important than the trophy quality of an area. Mm -hmm. Because if you know what's there, you're going to be able to mine out those, those better, you know, the better bucks that live in the area and you'll know where they're going. You'll figure out those patterns and figure out where they go once they get bumped by either you or other hunters or hikers, if you're in Colorado or, you know, I mean, it's that knowledge really pays off. I'm telling you. Oh, without a doubt. Like I, you know, everyone talks about that, like the benefits of hunting in an area consistently time and time again. And it's like, I knew that in my head, but I never really realized it until I was hunting here in Montana in 2019. And I had just quit my job. I'd started my business. And so I had, I was out here for like six weeks hunting, hunting elk and for the most part, I tried a few different places, but for the most part, I tried, uh, I spent majority of my time chasing this herd or these couple of herds in this one section of public. And I learned that I learned that piece of public, like the back of my hand. I mean, I knew every nook and cranny they could hide in there. I still didn't manage to get one, but, uh, I just started seeing the difference when you, when you see that herd, you're like, you know exactly where you can cut through and how to get around them. Like if you're going this direction to, to not wind them or whatever that, whatever that happens to be. And, um, saw a few whitetail in there, saw a few mule deer. I had a, I had a doe and I can't remember off the top of my head if it was a whitetail or a deer, but the funny thing about Montana is like the units are all so different for the general tags to where it's like, okay, one unit you're on a, your general tag, you're able to shoot mule deer bucks elk bulls and cows and white tail does the other one you may only be able to shoot an elk 
bull, a mule deer buck, and a mule deer doe, and no whitetail. A different one, you may not be able to shoot mule deer at all, but it's like, it's so... And I just completely forgot which one I was in. So I'm sitting there staring at this, <laughs> this doe. And I'm like, I just, I'm like, I, I didn't see any. I'm like, I would be very happy to take home that doe and put it in the freezer. Like that looks like a tasty ass hunk of meat. Um, there you go. And I just sat there staring at it like an idiot. And I'm like, crap, what am I allowed to shoot in here? Which unit am I in again? Crap. <laughs> and finally I ended up getting back to the truck and looking it up. I'm like, yeah, I could have shot that. Oh, that's awesome but you know and i i do like the way montana manages like that though because it allows them to really micromanage a herd and i i I think that that's one of the problems that colorado gets into is we tend to like clump a bunch of units together for a tag and i mean some of them are really big geographically and it just doesn't allow them to manage that as as detailed and as fine as as i think they should but hey my my uh, wildlife biology degree. I'm still waiting for that to come through. You know, <laughs> mostly because I never went to school for it, but you know, that's yeah. my, that's my own opinion. <laughs> I, I went to the, uh, I went to the university of Instagram for wildlife biology. I'm, I'm oh, expecting. Yeah. My, uh, I'm surprised we never saw each other in class. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll, when I, when I call my, uh, my advisor, I'll, I'll ask him where your, uh, when your, where your paperwork's at. Appreciate too. it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. That'd be real helpful. But man, you know, it, it, looking at your Instagram, you've taken, you may not have gotten that 200 plus. Uh, you may have not have. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. But uh, there are definitely some beauties up, uh, up on your wall here. Um, and man, you just posted that, that non-typical that you just posted. Is it today oh. or yesterday? Yeah, that's a, uh... So that's a buck that lived actually pretty close to our house. And that one, we aren't sure if it was, we're pretty sure it was a mountain lion that got him. Um, But he, he's no longer with us. Sad day. Um, But his running mate was actually, he, he was another huge buck and he wandered onto the wrong chunk of private property this, this last year and chasing does got him, got himself shot. So uh, isn't that always the way for a guy to get in trouble? Um, <laughs> it's not, it's not a new story. That's for sure. <laughs> oh man. So, I was just, I was just talking with yeah. a bunch of people about non-typicals recently. And like, I'm I, I, like, I can't ever decide what I like more. Like, uh, you know, and it's, Oh darn, I guess I have to pick. No, I don't. But <laughs> it's just, it's like, I, you know, if you got those two, you know, you say so you got those, those two mealies right next to each other. You got that perfect, like basket, you know, just gorgeous, you know, 180 plus muley. Um, and then you, uh, then you've got the other one that's just got weird drop tines, like hanging down over its face. It's all asymmetrical. Looks like, looks like maybe the family tree hasn't branched all that much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what's, which one, which one are you going for? You got them both at, both at, you know, 20, 30 yards broadside, which are you taking? So, so for me that it used to be a tough decision. And I used to think, man, give me that big typical. And I, I would still, I mean, I have, well, I was going to say an unspoken goal, but as soon as I say it, it's, not unspoken anymore. I would love to shoot a 200 inch net typical. That's, that's a goal of mine that I would love to do, but 
I want a big trashy buck for, for my wall. I want something with just, you know, giant, giant frame with stickers everywhere, big bases. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I'm looking for, but yeah, it's, it's tough. And I mean, the fact is I'll take the bit, whichever one I feel is biggest. That's how there's my cop out answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't know what I'd do in that case. I think I think for me it would come down to if I'm looking at both bucks, like which one just looks like the the older kind of gnarlier deer. Like just, you know, maybe one's a little bit grayer in the face or a yep. little more stooped or whatever yeah. it is. Whatever one just looks like he's been around longer, maybe a little bit smarter, a little bit tougher. I think uh that's what I'd go for, but Honestly, at this point, I, I, my goal is getting a forky. That's all I care about. As long as the next one I get has a fork. There you go, man. The sky's the limit there. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, let me, let me tell you the easiest way to do that. And that is put your bugle in a box and leave it at your house and hunt deer. <laughs> That's the <laughs> easiest way to do it is you, you just got to devote the time to it. But, yeah. um, with with you saying those two bucks standing side by side, I had I had a, a story back in gosh I think it was two thousand four. So it was the second year after I'd shot that doe, um, back out hunting with my wife, and we went into this spot where opening day we had seen a a big bachelor herd, and it had like four standout bucks in it. I mean, four bucks that were like, oh, I want that one. Oh, no, 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 that one, that that one, that one will do too. <laughs> I mean, there were just four <laughs> great, great bucks. And one of them was this big, wide buck. He was like almost 30 inches wide. And he had these crabby fronts, but just these huge backs and a giant body. So as it turns out, two days later, we're back in that same spot and we cut some fresh tracks follow these fresh tracks right after the rain. Anybody seeing a pattern or any sort of theme here yet? <laughs> um, hunting after the rains has been a real effective uh, method for me, but um, we get in there and I sneak down into this little draw and I see them both bedded. And it this is, this is one of those humble pie moments here. So bear with me. Um, I see them both bedded there and they're like 55 yards. My like, done. Which one do I want? I'm sitting here going back and forth. Got a little deeper forks on the younger buck, but man, that other buck's just so big. And, but I, I, I let those deep forks coax me in. And I, <laughs> so I drew back and I just, and I'm like, man, I can't, I can't clear the brush to get this shot. So I knelt down and I'm like, oh man, now I can't clear the brush closer to me. So I squatted down and, you know, just a super solid position. Oh, of course. Took the shot and naturally I, I dropped my bow arm and I just dropped out of that shot, went right under the deer and I'm just sitting there kicking myself. And we walked, so we walked, I walked down and grabbed that arrow, went back up to the trail. My wife standing there just eyes just bugging out of her head she goes i go did you see those deer she goes oh, yeah they just <laughs> ran past me at like 25 yards and she goes they were and i go you didn't shoot she goes did you not hear me say ran past me at 25 <laughs> yards so 
we go around a couple more bends in the trail and there they are both of them standing there at 60 yards now when they're standing up and you've got a giant bodied sway backed buck standing next to a young buck with good forks but a smaller frame then the decision was a little easier i mean that big one probably outweighed him by 50 pounds but yeah it was it was kind of funny i mean I made the, I made two different decisions because I got two opportunities at those bucks that day. And I, I made two very different decisions in the two encounters. It's, it's a benefit of having the full story, right? You know, you're, uh, yeah, I didn't have all the information, didn't have all the information the first time (laughs) I saw them. So yeah, they were both bedded and looked the same, but Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com so now is your wife, uh, is your wife just as obsessed with the muleys as you are, or does she have her other, uh, other stuff she likes to chase? So my wife would rather hunt elk, which I, I just feel is a pretty significant character flaw, but I I've got to overlook it. I the mean, marriage, you know, the marriage can survive it, you know, with counseling. It, it can, it can. <laughs> and honestly, it takes, it takes some, it takes some discussion and some work, some compromise, but, um, <laughs> And I don't know. She likes hunting elk because she has the biggest elk in the family. And I, I just, I just had this mental picture of what is this? Is this a diaphragm call? <gasps> Have you been cheated? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You just like, you just like get into bed and you pull back the pillow, the covers, and you find a diaphragm call. <laughs> What is this? I've been on TikTok so, too much lately, so I, I need to. <laughs> we, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you her, her elk story. Okay. Her one elk story. It's very short. So she drew a rifle elk tag, uh, like three years ago out here. And it's in a unit that I know real, real well, scouted it a lot. And we've killed a couple bulls. In, in this drainage where I thought we'd probably have the best chance at hers. So we went out and I, I'd scouted it a lot that year and knew that there was a lot of activity in this first drainage and thought for sure, man, if we, if we get in there early, we've got a decent chance of seeing an elk in there. And our trophy standards were spiker better. <laughs> because it was a bull tag yeah. <laughs> in this particular unit you can kill you can kill any antlered elk so i mean literally we're going out there to fill the freezer so we get up there and uh first thing in the morning and when i say first thing in the morning i mean like when we popped over the top i looked at my watch and we were about two minutes away from legal shooting light so i i'm feeling pretty good Feeling pretty good. And like I said, we took, we just popped over the top and I look out across this basin and it's more of a canyon than a basin. I'm like, holy crap, elk, elk, elk. So opening morning, first light, a couple minutes from legal shooting light. And I, I, I throw my binos up and I've just got eight and I'm looking, 
I'm like, it's a bull, it's a bull. My son, who let's see, at the time he would have been like 10 or 10 or 11, pulls up his binoculars and he has tens and he goes, Holy crap, it's a big bull. <laughs> and so now our hunt has gone from we'll take any spike that'll stand still to we've got a giant, we've got a big six by six standing <laughs> out in front of us. And she, uh, she gets down on the, on the tripod. Cause it was, there was just enough ground cover. We couldn't get a decent shot prone. And so we get her on the tripod and Holy crap, man, she is just, I mean, the wind's howling up there and she goes, it's just all over the place. So I reached over and turned the scope from 16 back down to six and <laughs> she goes, Oh, that's way better. <laughs> and about 10 seconds later, dead bull. I mean, you know, it, it's, Jeez. it's just crazy. So literally the sun is not even up. We're, you know, by the time we got everything ready and got tripod out and stuff, we're like 10 minutes into legal shooting light. The bull was just feeding peacefully on the other side of the Canyon. And <laughs> He, he took one right high shoulder and boom, down he went done. Season was over one, one bark of the rifle. So, Jeez. well, shoot, man, but that's maybe I need to go, maybe I need her. to go spike hunting then. <laughs> <laughs> See, you just got to, you got to adjust the expectations and be happy with what's out there. Cause we like elk burgers and that's, you know, we were hunting for a full freezer and as it turned out, it ended up with being a full freezer plus a $1,200 taxidermy bill. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I'll, t I'll tell you what, <laughs> I'll tell you what, since filling my first elk tag and then filling that freezer as well. And really, I mean, I've bought, I think I've bought some chicken and that's about as it, as far as the meat I've bought in the past year coming up on a year. Yeah. And I've gotten really used to that. And it's funny, you know, like everyone talks about like, oh, you know, as the longer you hunt, the more you kill, you know, your standards go up and your requirements go up. And I'm kind of like this year, I'm like, hmm, filling that freezer sounds like pretty damn good. My standards will start going it's up priority. once the freezer is full. <laughs> so I'm thinking like I need to I need to go out before season and do like some doe hunts or, or, or some cow hunt or something somewhere. If you can, absolutely. I do like my good. Cause, cause then I'm like, okay, got the freezer full. I'm not going to be sitting there questioning. Like if every time I pass a group of cows where that I'm like, gosh, I just taken that. Should I have just taken that? Well, and I, I, Hey, I did something I've never done this year. I passed elk during our archery season. I never, I've never in my life passed elk. I don't do it. It's something that I'm like philosophically against. <laughs> and this year I, I, found a couple good bulls in my scouting and I'm like, man, I'm going to, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to be patient. And I, I mean, I sat, I snuck in on three different herds and had multiple opportunities well within range. I had the lead cow sitting there scent checking me at like 18 yards this year Jeez. on an either sex tag. And, but you know, there was a, there was a big bull in that herd, but he just never would he was the weirdest thing. He just stayed in the middle of the, in the middle of the herd, just stayed in the middle of cows. And I could have shot two of his satellite bowls and just waited for the chance on him and which just never materialized. But that's the, so yeah, it's, it's tough. It's like, 
you know, it, you read all about elk hunting and it's like, okay, this is how you call them in and this and that. And, you know, I mean, and albeit I've not been elk hunting that long. It's, I started in 2017. So, you know, I've been on total of four elk hunts and, but I've never in my life had the experience of like, oh yeah, you know, you call the bull and it comes in and this and that. I'm like, I've barely seen some bulls. <laughs> like, I, it's tough. You know, and it's, it's like, you know, you watch too many, you know, you'll watch too many born and raised videos. You watch too much Randy Newberg and you start thinking like every time you go everywhere you go out, it's just going to be bugling and this and that. Just and a it's matter like, of time. Yeah. And I know I'll have it one. Of, I know I'll get into it one of these days, especially, you know, the more I hunt. But it's just one of those funny things. You know, it's I feel like that is the exception to the rule, like calling in calling in those bulls like that is the exception to the rule. And you got to get some serious time in the woods to really have that experience. But I'm excited for when I get it. Oh, I completely agree. And honestly, those moments are, man, there's not much in the world like it. I mean, it's it's pretty awesome when you call in an elk. I mean, it's it's a pretty awesome feeling. And, you know, especially when they come in bugling and screaming. I mean, I, I called in my first bull that I ever shot. It was a five by five. Um which is a little smaller than my son's elk, which puts me third in our family of three for biggest elk. And that's okay. Um, Hey, you're still on the podium. You're still on the podium. That's right. For now. (laughs) (laughs) They both have rifle tags this year. I better get my crap together. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, but truthfully, I mean, we've had, I I spotted that bull way on the other side of a huge basin. And I mean, it was late in the evening and I, I knew there was no chance I could get to him in time. So I literally, I blew on my little Primo's power bugle and oh, I, I started with a couple cow calls and he's looking around. I'm like, how can he even hear me that far away? <laughs> but, you know, just a big open base and they can, the, the sound carries well. And, um, I thought, you know what? I got that new bugle and I don't totally suck with it. I'm going to give it a shot. So I, I blew on the bugle and he looks over and is like watching really intently. And then I cow called again and that bull started kind of trotting down the hill. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, still thinking he's got a long ways to go. He's like 800 yards away, you know, and, so I'm just watching. I'm like, I'm not really going to get excited. I'm not going to get my decoy out or anything until he covers that, until he crosses this hill in between us. And holy crap, he's on my side of that and running. <laughs> and all of a sudden, things are things are going crazy. So, I, I mean, when he disappeared into some trees, I'm like frantically grabbing my decoy, threw it against a tree and ran like 20 yards in front of it. And called him in and that stinking bull walked right in and just took it. I mean, it was, it was just like what you see on the videos <laughs> and it's something that, I mean, I haven't experienced a whole lot of time since, but I sure, sure did enjoy it. And I I'd love to have that again, but I'm just not, I'm not a great elk hunter and I'm not a great elk caller by any means. And so I, I'd kind of stick with my strengths that spot in stock. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I think that's why I'm so drawn to elk is like that experience. It's like, 
I love, I really do love hunting, hunting mule deer. I mean, I just love hunting in general. You put me on just about anything. Yeah. I was even telling someone, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't care what it is. Put me in a high fence ranch in Texas. I'll still find a way to have fun. But uh, oh, if you're not, you shouldn't be there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like that experience with the elk, I think is why I'll always, that'll always be what hooks me is just because they're such a weird animal. But you know, with those mule deer, man, the one thing I do like about mule deer over elk is I feel like when you see a big mule deer, the instant you see a big mule deer, oh, you know that's a big mule deer. Like with elk, unless it's like just the biggest one you've ever seen, like you kind of attend, like you see them all in a bachelor herd, whatever, you know, you can pick out the biggest one usually, but there's a lot more like, oh, how big is that one? You know, if you're, if you're looking at the size, but you see a big muley come out, like you're like, holy shit. Like that's yeah. Oh, it, it makes my heart skip a beat, man. I mean, it's, it's probably bad for me physically because <laughs> I see when I, I, when I, and that's what I love about that scouting season, you know, that's coming up on us now is when you find that buck and maybe you're in looking in a new spot or, you know, or looking in an old place where you haven't seen a good deer in a few years. And all of a sudden that buck is in your, is in your fifteens or in your spotting scope. And it's, uh, I mean, it's awesome. And that is <laughs> because it, you start, the whole process starts there. I mean, I've had it start in, you know, it starts in July usually for me, cause that's what everything looks big in June. <laughs> you know, um, but when they start forking and you see where they're, you know, how wide they are, how heavy they are and stuff like that. I mean, that's when, that's when the hunt really starts for me. So, but, so are you're, de- are you definitely a, a hard horn guy over velvet? Oh no, no, I, I'm a, I've shot a couple real good velvet bucks. Um, and I've shot couple hard horn, but I mean, for the most part, our season, I mean, I'm finding that our bucks are holding on to velvet a little longer here, mm-hmm. um, over the last few years. And I have absolutely no idea why that is. I mean, the buck I shot last year, I shot him on like September 19th in full velvet. Huh. And it, I mean, it just made no sense at all, but, um, but kind of strange. I mean, like I said, I'd watched that buck for three years and I'd never seen him hard horn ever. He'd always been in velvet, even late in the season. So it's kind of kind of strange, but uh almost makes you wonder if it was like a genetic thing to where it like could it be. just doesn't rub its velvet or something like that. That'd be interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, he did rub his velvet because I've got a buddy who found one of his sheds, but um but yeah, I think they're just there's a you'll just find some bucks every once in a while that just hold on to it a little later. I mean, I saw a buck by my house uh like two or three years ago on october 23rd that was rubbing his velvet that day (laughs) i literally watched the buck rubbing his velvet i'm like what the heck because generally they're all stripped by like the 10th to 15th of september in our area does colorado i forget does colorado have like an early season for uh for bucks at all like a like while they're in velvet like pre-rut kind of a deal or oh yeah oh absolutely so so our i mean our archery season runs uh september 2nd through 30th um but there's also a few and these are pretty pretty hard tags to draw 
Um, there's some high country um, rifle tags that you can get as well, but you better have a whole pocket full of preference points mm. to grab those. But they're, they're early this year too. And they're like, I think they start like the fifth or sixth, something like that. I mean, it's, it's really early this year. So you can so. definitely kind of catch, I mean, in normal circumstances where they're not wait until October to rub them off, but you can catch kind of that tail end of the velvet season then. Oh yeah. In those, in those first week, few weeks of September. Definitely. Definitely. Like I said, ours usually don't rub and they're usually they'll start like around the, it's kind of that seventh to 15th range that you'll see some of the early ones going around the seventh. And then by the 15th, usually they're all, they're all hard, hard horned by then. It's such a weird, like deer and elk and, and, it's such a weird thing, man. Like that whole process of dropping the antlers, regrowing them, and then the it velvet is. and rubbing them off. And it's like it's a nasty looking thing. I mean, when you find those, when you find those rub those rub offs, or you just see that that big old buck or something with like yeah. bloody it looks like just it just blood red antlers. It looks like some straight out of a horror movie it that does. it just like looks... massacred some poor hiker or something. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it just came out of a Stephen King audition, but it's uh it, it's cool though. And I I've had I almost shot a buck and I still remember this years ago. This buck had just stripped his velvet. He was just a monster. And I snuck in on him and uh ended up having a having a little forky blow my stock but i just kept thinking oh my gosh please let me kill this buck right now this will be the coolest mount ever (laughs) he had just had it like hanging off his rack you know hanging down like uh off the bases of his antlers but his rack was blood red it was just it was the coolest thing but yeah unfortunately that forky had other plans I mean, that's definitely got to be like, I, and I'm so big on, I'm so big on getting them. If I'm going to get something mounted, I want it to have the feel that it did when I shot it. Like, so if, if I saw something like that with those red horns, I would be getting that to the taxidermist, like that day, like I would be driving through the night to get that to the tax. Yeah. Be like, all right, you need to lacquer the shit do what you gotta do do what you gotta do and then formaldehyde this bitch up (laughs) (laughs) boat trader america's largest boating marketplace offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from sell find and finance new or used boats on america's largest boating marketplace visit boattrader.com to get started so yeah and i i've shot a couple of them I shot one that was like partially stripped and uh, and he was able to save that. That was really cool. So like the top is polished and all tipped out, but the bases still have, have velvet on it. And then I shot another one a couple of years ago with my son um, that he had rubbed the top of his antlers that morning and just stopped. It was like, Oh, he's rubbing his antlers like, Oh crap, I'm hungry. I need to eat. (laughs) And literally fed all morning. We watched this buck feed all morning and bedded down in brush where he could have been rubbing his antlers, finishing the job, but it was like, he just forgot. And so we snuck in and we didn't let him finish the process because we shot him. (laughs) But that's one of the coolest mounts I have on my wall. Cause it's literally about the top 
eight, 10 inches are, are stripped off. And the rest of it is, is just velvet, just hanging off and strips. Almost really reminds cool. me of like, you know, you're, you're hiking, whatever you see the cattails where like just the top half has gotten knocked off. Yeah. It reminds me of like a cattail. almost. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, funny, man. Yeah. And, and I, I just feel like those two deer, like those two bucks that I killed, I mean, those are such a, if you think of how short the amount of time is throughout the year that that buck would look like that. I mean, it's, it's probably measured in, you know, hours, not days for sure. Oh, yeah. And I mean, to be able to get them right then, I mean, it's just, it was really cool, really cool experience, but, and it's, it makes for a unique mount too, that not everybody has something like that. I think that's what the magic is behind some of the non-typicals too, is a similar idea that like, you know, okay, you shoot like this pristine, perfect basket, you know, basket antlered uh, buck, you know, uh, except for the 200. Um, <laughs> I just had to rub that in a little bit there. Yep. Um, but, you know, to some extent, they're all the same. They're all going to be unique and have different number of points and this and that and, you know, different width. And some will be tall, some will be white. But after a while, well, you've seen one perfect basket and you've seen them all. But those non-typicals, every one is its own it's one of a kind. Like you see that non-typical, there's nothing out there. Yeah. Look like that thing. And you're going to be the only one that has one that looks like that. And there's a little bit of like, kind of a little ego and like, kind of like, that's pretty badass uh, involved in that. Yeah. And like I said, I've been, I mean, I've been looking for years trying to find, trying to find one, you know, just trying to find a big non-typical that I could hunt. And, you know, it seems like every time I freaking find one, it's in a, spot i can't hunt a unit i can't hunt or whatever you know and it's i still i still love looking at them i don't care if i can hunt them or not i still love seeing i still love seeing big mule deer i mean you know it's just such a knowing how perfect the conditions have to be for an animal to grow you know have the genetics and have the feed and the water needed to to grow that huge rack it's just so unique. And that's, that's why I love them, man. I just, I just love finding big deer. I mean, I, in the, at the end of the day, I don't care if they're non-typicals or typicals. I mean, I just like big deer. Having said that, I sure hope this is the year that I get to break 200 with something that just smashes it, you know, Heck yeah. but time will tell. Well, that's one thing, you know, I'm, I got into it with some, some guys and like, and again, I'm just going to clarify up front, like, as long as it's legal and ethical, I don't care how you hunt where, you know, if you go to Texas and you pay to hunt like a high fence deer, all that stuff. Cool. If that's what, what you choose to do, what floats your boat. That's awesome. I'm also like, don't pretend like it isn't what it is. Like when I've gone to hunt Texas, I'm sitting there, I'm posting like, heck yeah, dude, I woke up in a nice comfy bed and I got a breakfast and some coffee and drank my coffee while the side-by-side took us to the find. <laughs> and I sat in that feeder and we we sat and shot the shit until the feeder went off and we waited for a couple of minutes until until those fallow deer came over the ridge and blammo, we shot two of them and then we took the, threw them in the side-by-side back and we're back in time for lunch and a nap. There you go. Um, but we were getting into, I was getting into it with some guys about like pen-raised deer. And those big old, you've probably seen, you've, we've all seen them. They've, they'll happen. Yes. And 
yes, I understand somebody because somebody will write me and be like, oh, well, those happen naturally, too. I'm like, yes, they do There's like one in a million or one in five million. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That gets that giant like bramble bush head. Yeah. That is just so ridiculously enormous. But I just I don't know where the pride is in shooting something like that. You know, the in you didn't defeat it by any chance. It's practically somebody's backyard pet half of the time. And it it hasn't lived that life. It's not giant because it, it like had those perfect genetics and it had all that, you know, natural feed and it's smart and it learned and it, you know, kept away from hunt other hunters and stuff like that. It's, you didn't, you didn't defeat anything. And that's what, that's what bugs me about it. I was trying to, get that across and the response is always you're just jealous because you can't afford it (laughs) well and and hey don't get me wrong i i i see you know we're all into hunting for different reasons and it means different things to each of us and that's why i I, i've kind of come to the realization over the years that just respect what somebody loves i mean hey that's cool if that's what they're into i mean dude half the I, i don't know i mean Mexico, I have trust issues with Mexico right now (laughs) and some of the monsters that are coming out of there because I don't know which ones were, you know, uh, have been all shot up with steroids and that's, you know, you're not looking at the same thing. And then you look at something like that Gordon buck, the the new uh, world record non-typical that the guy shot in, uh, in Southwest Colorado. I mean, holy crap, man. That buck is a freak, an absolute freak. And it's it's a genetic anomaly. I mean, say what you will about it. That buck is amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, a 348-inch deer. Dude, I'd, I'd love to shoot. I drew, a good, uh, I drew a good Utah elk tag this year. I'd love to see a 348-inch elk. <laughs> I mean, much less a 348-inch mule deer. I mean, it's, it's crazy. but And, I mean, that thing was in velvet, too, when he shot it, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, you see, like, a 348-inch hardhorn. That's one thing. You see that in velvet, it looks twice as big. Even. Like, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> all the mass looks bigger yeah and, oh, I, it, and it's it's just you know that's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night and keeps me going out scouting you know a lot during the summer is just the chance that i could i could stumble upon one you know one of those one in a million once in a lifetime animals and that's what keeps me coming back man i love it love the pursuit and it's that's that's what i i mean you know, I look back at my my teeny little guy here and he lives, you know, right here, right where every every podcast I record, every video conference I'm on, every every, you know, photo I take out my desk. Yeah. He's front and center along with my along with my little raghorn elk now that's behind me and I'll be, you know, I've I've said it a million times before, I'll be prouder of this this deer and this elk. Uh, than anything I will ever shoot in this lifetime. Like, I mean, I could, I could shoot that, that Gordon buck, you know, this, this season for all I know that, you know, something wild, wild here in Montana could walk out on public land. 
I could get, let's face it. I could get lucky uh, because it's not going to be through my, my spectacular uh, huntsman <laughs> hunter skills. Uh, <laughs> um, well, but hey, lucky, you've, but... you figured out, yeah, you figured out how to kill them. And, you know, now it's a matter of taking that next step and taking some of the luck out of it by, by either putting in a lot of scouting Mm-hmm. and having, you know, Hey, here's my, here's my number one buck, my number two buck, my number three buck or bull, whichever it is, you know, and then you're, then it's, it's a matter of just finding a, you know, coming up with a plan and executing the plan. Okay. And that's, that's the cool thing is when, and, and that buck, that first buck will always mean the world to you. Dude, I've got a spike that I shot in Northern Arizona in 1989 on on my first deer hunt that i had a tag for i went out with my buddy kenny he took me out and i mean we we shot the only buck i saw that entire season (laughs) and to to tell you just how big this this spike was it's in a quart ziploc bag out on my workbench the the (laughs) skull cap and the spike but i i mean and someday I'm going to do a picture of me, my wife, and my son, all with our first bucks. Both there's both of which are shoulder mounted. Mine, I, I couldn't convince my mom to spring for a shoulder mount, you know. <laughs> but uh, and I don't know why. I mean, it was a huge buck. Clearly, I mean, you know, those spikes enormous. were. Yeah, I mean, they were well over four inches, and I mean, four <laughs> and eight or something like that, but. <laughs> You know, uh, hey, I hunted my butt off for that thing. That was the only buck I saw. And when I saw it, I capitalized. And it meant, meant the world to me, and it still does. And I love that. I really do feel like, you know, I'm here in Montana. I really do feel like I should grab this and roll up to Missoula and and take it into Boone and Crockett to get officially scored, just in case. Oh, you I know, think you it's, should. It's pretty well, enormous. So here's the, here's the question that I always ask people is how many mass measurements do you get on a spike? <laughs> I mean, cause that's, I, I feel like, I feel like that's the difference from a spike being, you know, like an 18 inch buck or like maybe a 30 inch buck. I mean, man, imagine that, <laughs> but oh, man. Tra- this is this is coming from a guy who has a few spike elk and is you know hanging out around the house here. So, uh, and, man, and I've I'm just never have, been able to figure out. I'm gonna have to give Boone and Crockett a call. I'm gonna have to be like, hey guys, I I, I need to talk to y'all. I need to talk to Pope and Young. We need to get this figured out. It's very very critical. Yeah. To, for for conservation purposes, that we get this correct. Um, I agree. I agree. Very, very serious. Very, very serious topic. I, if I were you, before you head over there, I'd probably ask for a panel measurement, just so you know. I mean, they do that for their, you know, like the top five, top yeah. ten type bucks. Make sure you know you're getting an accurate representation. Hey, I don't. So. I don't want my. I don't want my record in the books to be asterisked. So yeah, that's probably the best. You I want that you sucker know, official. Absolutely. I don't want it disputed anything like that, man. <laughs> I love it, man. Oh, man. Hey, Who I, is allowing us to record this unsupervised, honestly? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> like the poster children for adult onset ADD. Oh, but yeah, my, uh, I, shot a, I shot a little buck a few years ago. I'd had a, had a job change. And I mean, the season was just 
a mess for me. And I literally had a, a few times out in the last weekend out, man, this old Forky stepped out in front of me and I hesitated for about a third of a second. <laughs> I made a great shot and put him down and he, uh, and, and I, I kept telling, you know, everybody's like, why'd you shoot? Why'd you shoot such a small buck? And I said, boy, that's, I said that you're just looking at this all wrong. I said, as an archer, you know, I'm looking at that going, anybody can hit the big ones, but man, to hit a small one right in the lungs, <laughs> do you know what kind of precision that takes? <laughs> so, hey, just had a little fun with it. That's all. <laughs> you know, I'm just really uh, trying to show off my archery skills. That's why. <laughs> exactly. You know, my first archery kill was a cottontail. Um, yeah. <laughs> actually. Funny enough, it actually it actually technically was my first archery kill was a cotton, so was mine. <laughs> I, I was in I was fact, at my first my first fifty were probably cottontails <laughs> and squirrels. So <laughs> it was funny. I mean, it was out of uh, the the trip I shot this deer. It was out out with the guys, and uh, we were uh, we were going fishing. We we're gonna go fishing at this cattle pond. Just take a break for the evening. We'd been hunting pretty hard for about a week. I'm like, let's just go like chill out. And we got a cooler full of beers and a thing of hot dogs. And we were jack pulling carp out of this cattle pond. And we, we pull up and my buddy's like, Sam, go shoot that rabbit. You'll get your first kill. I'm like, well, shit. All right. And pull out the judo tip done, <laughs> and pull back. And I'm like, boom, and execute this perfect shot. And I just hear this weird noise of like a, and I'm like, what the hell was that? And I watched my arrow like go straight for a split second and then just veer off like in the most bizarre fashion. And I'm like, Oh, that must've been one of my, one of my uh, veins must've come full loose or something. (laughs) And it didn't, it didn't come off. I didn't lose it, but it was flapping. So it just did made my arrow like go off to the side. Like it. And, uh, my buddy looked at me like, what the hell was that? And so I'm like, you know what? Screw this. And I grabbed one of my broadheads and I was using, I was using, I think Montec G5s at the time or something. So just a big old solid steel three blade broadhead. And, you know, the benefit of using those on a, on something like a cottontail is you actually kill and gut the animal at the same time simultaneously. <laughs> um, that can very much be true. <laughs> you know, again, just showing showing my knowledge of trick shots as an archer, I chose to <laughs> save myself time by gutting the animal uh, after after dispatching it, so, uh, immediately after dispatching it that way. So you know, sa- saving time, making sure that, you know, <laughs> you're able to get the meat out quicker that way. It's really, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, and you don't have the guts in the animal spoiling any meat. So. Exactly. It's, that's you know, a- it's, it's ethical. It's perfect. It's the perfect, uh, perfect way to do it. Really. If you're, I mean, if you're not doing that on elk, you know, we just need bigger broadheads. <laughs> well, um, and one other thing that it, in all seriousness, it shows you, Hey, my broadheads are hitting where I'm aiming. Yep. And that's, I mean, that's a lesson that a lot of people go out to hunt and they don't have that lesson fully answered in their minds. They hope their broadheads are hitting where they're aiming, but most people don't do a full broadhead tune of their bow. And it, mm-hmm. it always shocks me. I feel like you go but. through these steps when you're, when you first start, you know, 
you're shooting, you're shooting your field tips and you, then you're like, okay, it's time to go hunting. You throw on your broadheads, maybe you make some small adjustments and then you go. Then, then, then the next year you're like, okay, I got to do this like broadhead tuning thing, but you don't really broadhead tune. You just, you shoot, you shoot it and then you just adjust for your broadheads later. And you're like, okay, now I'm really dialed in with my broadheads. Then you finally get to that stage where you're like, okay, no, there's a correct way to do this. And my broadheads should be hitting in the same spot as my field tips. And you start like, and that's, I've, I'm finally getting to the part where now I'm, I'm taking the time to really tune my bow, tune my arrows and get into arguments with guys that shoot mechanicals about why, why tuning is actually necessary. Um, <laughs> I, that was a whole nother experience this last year. Hey, I'll tell you, I, I've gone the full circle on broadheads. I've shot, I started out shooting mechanicals. I shot a cheap mechanical that flew real well. Um, then I switched over to a fixed head and I had some good luck with that, but I just was always a little disappointed by the amount of blood on the ground. So I switched back to mechanicals and I mean, I, I like, I like blood trails that are so obvious that, you know, a visually impaired colorblind person could follow along and go, yep, <laughs> here he goes right through here. That's what I'm looking for. So uh, yeah, that's, it's another one of those uh, no right answer to it kind of questions like, you know, and I, I love shooting severs. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of severs. Like I shoot the shit out of those things. Um, and those are, those are mechanical, but with my elk, like, I really like shooting those big old, and I mean, I'm shooting those single two blade single bevels, um, and half of the time those are nearly as by the t- the ones I get are nearly as wide as as some of those those severs when they open up. But yeah, um, those things are just. I mean, I got got one right up there behind me, one of those kudu points, and those things are nasty. Those things. I will say the nice thing about the severs is you don't accidentally nick yourself when you're practicing. I've done that a few times. Well, there is that. <laughs> there is that. Yeah, I've I've kind of gone through and I've shot swackers. I've shot, you know, Grim Reapers, and I've I've just ended up back with the Grim Reapers. Yeah. I like I like three blades because I like I like three surfaces cutting versus two. And I just feel like your odds of catching a, you know, of clipping an artery or a vein are are just that much higher when you've got when you've got that extra blade in there. So yeah, well, that's the thing. Like you can, like everyone has their, what they prefer with their style of shooting and what they like to hunt. And you can sit and debate all of the intricacies of it. Oh yeah. Every single day of your life. And you could change, you could have a different style of broadhead for every animal you hunt based on that and this and that and the other. And, and it just comes down to like, what's your focus and you know, what's your setup? What's your focus? What do you like to shoot? Cause no answer is going to be right for everyone. And we're all trying to find a broadhead that's going to work for the majority of what we like to hunt, you know, okay. Maybe you're going out for Turkey. You'll probably pick something a little different than, than what you're shooting for elk, or you may just grab your bow and hammer a Turkey with a 605 grain arrow. Um, but <laughs> they're going to be just I, as dead. <laughs> I once had a buddy, uh, I was hunting with a buddy. We were doing an elk hunt. We were, at, we were chasing grouse and we, you know, we each had a couple of judo tips, but we were back there for like seven days 
And so we had, you know, we had lost one and we had busted the other, this or that. And so we were kind of just down to our broadhead arrows. And finally, like we were, we just, we had had a bunch of grouse and there's this one grouse, both of us lost the judo tip on it. And for some reason, like we could not hit this thing, but then it, it was just insult to injury at that point. And my buddy was like, screw it, pulled out one of his, one of his broadheads and Oh, cause what it was is I missed him. He clipped him, but the thing like flew away or he like clipped him pretty well with the judo tip and yeah. it flew away. And he's like, screw this, pulled out the broadhead, and the thing landed right in front of a log and 20 yards. He hammers this grouse with a full, like, again, like solid steel broadhead pins it, pins it to the log. And he's like, and I just remember hearing him say, fly away now, asshole. Um, <laughs> went up and, right. like, and we had grouse, we had grouse and mountain house chicken and rice for dinner that day. And it was lovely. Um, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Some good, fresh protein. There, in we there. Go. there we go. Grouse are grouse are made for stuff like that. They're made for stories like that too, because mm-hmm. I mean, you find me a hunter who hasn't hit a grouse and had it fly away and I'll show you a hunter who probably hasn't shot a grouse. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way they go. I mean, they're, they're a frustrating little animal like that. Oh man. But well, man, on that note, I always like to kind of wind down with like, say, you know, somebody comes up to you, you know, you run into someone, they find out you're a hunter and they're like, Hey man, you know, like I see you got all these mule deer mounts. These things are awesome. But like, I've always wanted to get into hunting but I, I don't know. There's so much to learn. I don't have any friends that do it. I don't know anyone that does it. Like, I don't know if it's for me. What kind of words of encouragement would you give that person as far as like getting into getting into the outdoors, getting into hunting? That's easy. It's for everybody. I mean, and I say that because as as humans, we are innately hunters and gatherers. That's just that's what we've been for. You know our previous generations, that's how they live. That's how they sustain themselves. And I feel like that's in each of us to some extent. And a lot of us, it lies very deep. (laughs) It lies very, very deep. But I do feel like even, even if, and I've taken people out who have zero interest in hunting, zero interest, but I've taken them out with me. They're like, Hey, I just want to see what the attraction is. I'm like, hey, come out for a scouting trip with me. And, you know, I'll pick you up at your house at three. And we'll, uh, they're like, PM? I'm like, oh, heck no, AM. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll go out and we'll drive for a few hours. We'll hike for a little, for a little bit and we'll be in place when the sun comes up. And I mean, you know, most people won't take you up on it. Three o'clock is a barrier to entry that keeps most people out. Um, but I've had a couple friends take me up on it. And when they go out, they, they see, they see the outdoors through a different lens. And I mean, I've had a couple of them, you know, a couple of good memories from that. We had, um, we actually took the Bishop from our, from our church out with us once. And he just, you know, he still doesn't hunt, but he appreciated it. He grew to appreciate where that jerky that I gave him every year came from. And saw again, just saw the outdoors through a different lens rather than just saying, Hey, see those deer over there on that hill. We sat there and watched those deer for a couple hours and broke down what they were doing, why they were doing it. And, you know, hey, and then I asked him, All right, 
it's opening day. You've got a tag. You need to get within 50 yards of that buck. How do you do it from here? And, you know, you kind of go through the step by step of a stock and it just, it, it, it just opened his eyes and he's like, man, this is really cool because it's not for me, but it's really cool. And that's, yeah. and you know, I respect that, but I think, I think that's the best way to do it is just get somebody out there, get somebody out outdoors with you and let them see animals through a different lens, so to speak. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you sitting down, taking the time. I know you're uh, heading out first thing tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm glad we were able to make this work, man. Yeah, it's great. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com slash 205 and get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Big thank you to Henry for taking the time out, hopping on. Really uh, had a good time chatting with him. Um, definitely have to uh, let y'all know what my little teeny spike <laughs> scores when I get the uh, the Boone and Crockett or the Pope and Young panels to uh, give it an official score. But, you know, on that note, y'all, that'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to the Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.